Right, let's say a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for um, allowing us to come together, even with a few number of us. Um, I just pray as we go into your word that you can help us to um, learn and understand. Um, thank you so much for giving us this privilege. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so last time we... Um, we read about the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. We've actually done a study already um, in Acts chapter 16. I was actually trying to find just now what the name of that study was, but I can't remember, but we have done a study on chapter 16. So we're gonna jump all the way to chapter 19 um, to Paul's third missionary journey. Um, and just to give some um, context, Paul has kind of gone through a few different places um, on his way to um, chapter 19 on this current um, journey, right? So he went through um, Thessalonica, um, but the main part of chapter 17 is, is Paul in Athens, right? What do you think, what do you guys think Athens was known for? Any guesses? Maybe Greek God. Greek God's not not Greek. Well, I mean, yes, but um, not the. What do you think Greek the Greeks were known for? If Athens is the capital of Greece, right? So, what what do you think the Greeks were known for? What did they bring to modern civilization? Mm. I can't, I searched it. Saying full of idols. So again? I just, I searched it and it's saying it's some, about being full of idols. Full of idols. They, I mean, they did, definitely would have had idols there, don't get me wrong. And the, I mean, everywhere that Paul went, they probably did have um, idol worship. But I don't think that's necessarily what Athens, I mean, Athens would have been had, had a lot of that, don't get me wrong. But I don't think that's what Greek culture is necessarily known for um, in terms of their. Um, their addition to modern culture, right? If we think about, uh, go ahead, Krista. Uh, yes. Philosophy, perhaps? Philosophy, right, that's what I want to hear, yeah. Philosophy, right? So there's loads of Greek philosophers out there. This is what Athens was kind of known for, kind of the centre of um, intellectual prowess, right? So this is where, um, this is where, the, the, you know, they're keen about, you know, their, their theology, about uh, philosophy, about, you know, the meaning of life, meaning of man, et cetera, et cetera, right? So that's what, um, so Paul went there to preach first. Um, and then in chapter 18, he goes to Corinth, right? What do you think Corinth is known for? Might be a bit more difficult. I'll give you a clue. It's a uh, it's a coastal city. Fishing, fishing, um, kind of trade, trade, right? So there's a there's a big there's a port there. They did a lot of trade there. So uh, probably the the commerce capital, right? At that point. So um, so we've had so Paul went to the intellectual center in terms of Athens. He went to one of the commerce centres of, um, of the time in Corinth. And then in chapter 19, we're heading to Ephesus. Now, what do you think Ephesus is known for? Linnea, this is probably when you want to say what you said about Athens. 
Yeah, so this is like the spiritual centre, right, at this point, right? So a lot of um, people would come to Ephesus um, to, to gain spirituality, to come to get their little idols and stuff like that. Um, so Ephesus was like the spiritual centre, right? So when we read through Acts, especially the journeys of Paul, it's really about cities. Paul liked going to cities. He liked going to big metropolitan areas where he could speak to a lot of people. So as um, Paul is going, and this is why we see all of his letters to, you know, Corinth, to Ephesus, to Galatia, to Thessalonica, um, all, all big cities, right? To Rome, and, you know, we get to the Roman part later in Acts. Um, but Paul is all about trying to hit the big cities, right? He's trying to, trying to reach, um, have the gospel reached all of the people within the cities, because that's where the people were, right? So he wasn't scared of going to the intellectual head. He wasn't scared of going to the, the place where there was the most commerce and trade, and he wasn't scared of going to the place where there was the most spirituality. So as that is our background, right? Paul is probably in the middle, if not towards the end of this missionary trip. Um, and he's in Ephesus, and that's where we start. So being Ephesus being the spiritual kind of capital at this point, where what do you think the biggest problem in Ephesus would have been? Is it demon possession or? Yeah, right? Demon possession, right? And or, and things pertaining to that kind of stuff. So spirituality, magic, all, the, all those kind of things are going on. Um, and we'll see a bit of that as we go through the chapter. But chapter nine here is generally split into three stories, right? So we're going to go through three stories there within um, chapter 19. Um, and, you know, there's a central, there's a kind of central theme that's running through all of them, but we'll, we'll get there as we go. Right. So um, let's start in verse one. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then are were ye baptized? And they said unto John the baptism, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, while should which should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. Okay, cool. Um, cool, yeah, that's a bit. So, um, so Paul's just left Corinth, right? He, uh, Apollos was at Corinth. Paul, Paul um, kept going and went on to Ephesus, right? And he met some believers. So what did he, what was his question? As soon as he met the believers, what was his question? Tyler, we're in Acts chapter 19, by the way. So verse two, he meets, he meets these believers. What does he ask? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Cool, right? So Paul's straight, straight for the gun, right? Imagine Paul walked to one of our churches and he said, oh, hi guys, the believers in, in you know, uh, Northampton or in Soho, wherever, wherever we are. And he walked into a church and said, oh, have you received the Holy Spirit? What would that have to be? I wonder. Right? So um, so Paul goes straight for the guy and he goes, right, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Um, and what was that right, sir? They weren't really sure what the Holy Spirit is perhaps because uh, yeah. in verse two yeah it says yeah yeah they hadn't even heard of what the holy they didn't even know that there was was a holy spirit they hadn't heard of what it was before you know what i mean they they were like holy spirit what's that right and then so paul probably a bit um confused what's he what does his next question Uh, Paul was like, well, didn't John baptise you? Or wait, he said, yeah, into what then were you baptised? So I guess he's asking if you were baptised, weren't you baptised with the Holy Spirit? 
Exactly right, because we know, you know, we know from um, the end of Matthew that, you know, go, go ye therefore teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? So Paul's like, well, how have you then been baptized if you haven't ever heard of the Holy Spirit? Did you not get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and so he says, what kind of baptism did you have? And what did they say? baptism by john yeah <laughs> we got we had the baptism of john right? we had the baptism of john what, what do you think the problem is with the with the baptism of john i guess they didn't understand that john was trying to point them to jesus um well exactly right yeah and so what would the what would the problem be with that If your whole spiritual experience was, oh, we've got John's baptism, what would be, what's, what's the problem? Because it, it teaches us quite an important um, lesson about baptism. For example, Clarissa, right? Um, if you got baptised, um, say last year, by Pastor Paul, um, and someone asked you, oh, so um, what baptism did you have? Oh, and you said, oh, I had um, Pastor Paul's baptism. What would be the problem with that? I guess that I'm not understanding the, um, the meaning of baptism, like its significance. And uh, yeah, I guess, as a Christian, I'm not really understanding. Like, maybe it's easiest for easiest for us now as we can reflect, but not really understanding who Jesus is or what the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is as well. Um, yeah. Cool, right? We're not quite understanding really what the gospel was saying. If if and and this is what these people's problem was. They, it, Paul, Paul says, um, John Verity baptized with the baptism of repentance, right? So it's almost like they were, they were told that this baptism was like a fresh start. If you want a fresh start, if you want to change your ways, um, you know, I'm going to baptize you. And although that is not um, too far from the truth, you're missing quite a big part of what baptism is, right? And so how would you guys describe baptism? If someone asked you, if one of your friends asked you what baptism was, well, how would you, what would you, how would you describe it? A public declaration of your faith in God. A public declaration of your faith in God. Okay, all right, let's build on that. Because why, why can't I just declare that I have faith in God? What, what is, what, is, what does baptism symbolise? Um, dying to self. Dying to self. Okay, okay, okay. We're getting there. What else? Um, a renewal. A new birth. A renewal. Okay. What kind of renewal? A spiritual renewal. Okay, 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 okay. So if I wanted to be spiritually renewed and um, and I wanted to die to self, then I should get baptised, is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, so what's the, what's the focus of that? What if, what if my idea of spiritual renewal was different from yours? What is the central theme that runs through baptism? What ties it all together? God, Christ, Christ, right? So, so how does how does how does Jesus relate to baptism? If this is just a spiritual renewal, 
a fresh start. Like, then that's a pretty start much in, that, a fresh that's start pretty much in Christ. Say right? again. I said, wouldn't it be a fresh start in Christ? It's a fresh start in Christ, right? But what? Why is why is it a fresh start in Christ? Like, what does he? What does a fresh start in Christ even mean? Because it's, um, you're born into sin, and then the baptism is now you're born into the spirit of the Lord. Okay, 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 okay. So if you were born into sin originally, right? That's our first birth. And you're saying when you get baptized, when you get baptized, there's a second birth, right? Which is into a spiritual birth. Yeah. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Um, all right. So <laughs> let's wrap this all together, right? So okay. So why does that? What is the? What has that got to do with Jesus? If I'm born, if I'm born in, um, literally born in the flesh, and then in baptism, born in the spirit, what has that got to do with Jesus? Because this is what this is what um, this is what Paul is trying to say. He's trying to say the, the the baptism of John is was about repentance. And although yes, part of baptism is about repentance, um, you're missing the fact that it was talking about Jesus. So, what about baptism was Paul trying to say was about Jesus? So much so that they got they could be baptized in the name of Jesus. What does that even mean? <laughs> okay, let's let's break this down, right? Okay, so um so back back in the day, right? Jews, um, Hebrews thought that um, that breathing symbolized life, which it does, right? And that's where you get terms like the breath of life from, right? So um, so if you're breathing, you're alive, essentially, right? Which means if you hold your breath, you're what? Dead. Dead. Right. Cool. Dead. So. The baptism, what would happen in baptism, right? You would get into the water, you would hold your breath. So when you hold your breath, that symbolizes you died. Then you get put into the water, that symbolizes what? What do we call what do we call the water? The watery the watery what? Graves. Grave, right? So getting put into the water symbolizes what? Death. Well, the hold, say, say holding the breath was the death part, right? So you've already held your breath before you put in, got put in the water. So you're dead. What does the what does the water symbolize? Your grave. Where do you go once you're dead? The grave. The grave, right? So you're buried in the water, right? That's why you know we do water by submission, and then you come out of the water. And then what's the first thing you do when you come out of the water? You breathe again. You breathe again, right? Symbolizing almost your first breath, like a baby would breathe their first breath once they come out of the womb, symbolizing your first breath after you come out of the grave. Okay, cool. So this is how it relates to Christ. Think, thinking on those things that happen during baptism, right? When you take baptism, you're accepting that Jesus' life, right? was good enough to be your sacrifice yeah and so you say because jesus's life was good enough to be my sacrifice i am going to take part in his death right his death the death that he took was the death that i deserve i was hearing this week that jesus didn't just die the first death he died the second death when he died on the cross right he died the the death that was to um, pay for sin death, not just the sleep death that people go to um, when they die here on earth, but the proper eternal death, right? And so Jesus took that death for me, right? That's what happens when you hold your breath. 
right? Then you accept, then you are buried with him. So you go under the water. And then you were resurrected as Jesus was, was resurrected in new life. Right? So baptism as as a ritual, as a as a thing that we do, says that we've accepted Jesus as our savior, right? We accept that he lived the life that we couldn't have lived. And so we want to accept his righteousness. He we he took the death that we deserve. And so we rise up in the life that is his. Yeah, we get that. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Right. So this is why it's not just just repentance, right? Because repentance is saying, oh, you know what? I've done something wrong. I want to change, right? The 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 what Jesus is offering is not simply just a um uh a change. It's a it's a new life, right? And so instead of you being born in sin and shapes and iniquity based on how you were born, now you have, as Tyler was saying, you have now a new birth, right? And that is what, what baptism symbolizes. And obviously there is a internal thing. Baptism is the outward show of what has already happened internally, right? But that's what you're doing when you're doing baptism. So this is what these guys didn't quite understand. They thought, oh, it's just, you know, I've, I've changed my ways, so therefore I got baptised. And Paul was like, no, you need to get baptised into Jesus, right? Because that is how you get salvation. You don't get salvation through doing good works. That's what a baptism of repentance would suggest, that you can just change your ways, do some good stuff, and then, you know, God will be happy with you. Actually, you need a new birth. You need Jesus' um, righteousness. You need his... Um, you need his um, clothing on you so that, you know, it's not just your righteousness that God sees, but Jesus' righteousness. That's what baptism symbolizes, yeah? Cool. Okay. Clearly, so that's why baptism is so important for, for a Christian, right? Especially the, the internal baptism. Obviously, the outward baptism comes after the internal has happened. So, um, so let's continue reading, right? So, Obviously, these guys, um, these guys didn't know any better. So we're going to see uh, uh, in a minute another example of people who didn't quite get it in the same way that these people were looking towards John. These other guys were looking towards someone else, as we we're about to read. Um, but these guys were doing it genuinely. They didn't really understand. They didn't, hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so when Paul had told them what the truth was, they were like, oh, really? Wow. And they got baptised. And it's interesting when we see what Paul says, he says, he doesn't actually rebuke them for what they already know. He isn't like, what, you got baptised just with John? Oh, you look, you look, I've been doing the wrong thing all this time. Like, you need to fix up. He didn't say any of that. He said, oh, it's good that you did the, you got the repentance part, but just understand, we need to go deeper in this. We need to understand what baptism was really about. And when he taught them, they're like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's get rebaptized. Yeah. And so um, we'll see that running theme across the stories as well. But cool, let's, let's continue from, um, from verse six. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this Ooh, continued... Let's, let's stop yeah. there for one second, right? Just so we don't miss a few bits. So, um, so he pulled his hands on them, they got, received the Holy Spirit, they started speaking in tongues and prophesying. So these guys are good, right? So that's story one done. Story two um, starts, right? And, um, or this is kind of an interlude between story one and story two. Um, so where does Paul go? He goes straight to the synagogue, right? And he starts um, speaking boldly. You know how Paul does admit his words. 
Paul isn't, it doesn't go softly. Paul goes, goes, goes in proper, right? So he goes into the synagogue and starts preaching. And what, what happens in the synagogue? How did the people respond to Paul when he was preaching? That's mine. Um, I guess they didn't respond well. Um, there wasn't, they weren't believing what he was saying, I guess. Cool, they didn't believe, right? Didn't believe. It says um, when divers, which means um, some of the people, right? So some, some were hardened um, and didn't believe. And then they spoke um, evil of the way, which is a, the way is a term used for, for early Christians at that point. They were called the people of the way, right? And so um, it says they spoke evil of the way of, or of that way um, before the multitude and he departed, right? So Paul didn't stick around. He was like, okay, if you don't believe, that's fine. He's not going to force it down your throat. And he, and, he, and he moved on, right? So he went to a school um, called uh, Tyrannus, right? And, he's, and he taught there daily. And you can't imagine this is a massive school. It's probably a a little room, maybe in someone's house, but maybe, I don't know, maybe they rented a hall or something, I don't know. Um, and he's been teaching there, right? Um, verse 10, it says, and this continued by the space of two years, so that the, um, so that all that dwelt in Asia heard the word um, of the Lord Jesus, both for Jews and Greeks. So this little school, right, you wouldn't thought have had much influence. Paul stayed there for two years, right? And through this little school, seems that like everyone knows what's going on in terms of the gospel. In fact, things spread more from the school than they did from the synagogue. And then it says, verse 11 and 12, which is quite amazing, right? God wrought many um, special miracles, so special, not even miracles, right? Special miracles by the hands of Paul. And why they're so special is it says that from his body with... Um, but unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, right? So they used to, maybe he wore an apron or he wiped a, a, a handkerchief on himself and they were taken to um, sick people. So sick people, people who are, who are, who are demon-possessed, because we, we said before that that was a problem in Ephesus, given their spiritual um, nature. Um, and they would take these handkerchiefs or aprons and just touch them with the, with the sick people and they'll be healed. Paul wasn't even there. And so you can imagine this is starting to get quite a buzz, right? In Ephesus, people are like, wow, this, this guy, Paul, he's got some power. Like, you can, like, it's not Paul's gone, it's not like Jesus where he walked around and, you know, healed people. Literally, they wipe, let's say Paul wiped his head with, with, a, with a cloth. They take the cloth to a sick person and a sick person will be healed with the cloth that Paul touched, right? That's, that's, the, kind of, that's the kind of special miracles that were going on. At this point, maybe this is what Jesus referred to when he said, "Great miracles, um, and these I, um, you shall do." Right. Um, the only thing that we see Jesus do that is remotely close to this is when the the woman um, with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, and that was something he was wearing the garment at that point. Clearly, so you know. Um, and so there's a bit of a buzz going on right now. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's read from verse uh, thirteen. Start story two. Uh, verse 13, then certain of the vagabond Jews, um, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacher. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, Sceva? a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on, and the man in whom the evil spirit was 
leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and in and the name of Jesus was magnified. Awesome. Okay, cool. So what just happened? Um, I think that um, there were Jews who were trying to cast out evil spirits in the name of Jesus. Um, and then when time, the like an evil spirit um, said that it knows Paul, it knows Jesus and Paul, um, but saying, who are you? Um, and when... Cool, right? So yeah. they, so these people probably seeing what Paul has been doing, right, in terms of the miracles, were thought, oh, you know what? I could, we, we can, we can get in on this. We can do some miracles ourselves. Um, and it calls them vagabond Jews, Jews right? So um, exorcists, right? So they took upon themselves, you know, let's go, let's go deal with some of these evil spirits that are plague in Ephesus, right? So um the, there were sons of Sceva, right? One of the one of the priests. Um, in fact, the chief priests. So um so they said, right. They went up to the evil spirit and said, um, Come, come out in the, in the name of Jesus. But then just say in the name of Jesus. They say in the name of Jesus, which Paul preaches. The fact that they say in the name of Jesus, which Paul preaches, means that they don't know Jesus. All they know is that Paul preached of Jesus. Again, it will be like me saying, "Come out of Je come, come come out of him in the name of of Pastor Paul." As nice of a man as Pastor Paul is, you know, there's no power in his name like the, there is in Jesus, right? And so no demon is coming out in the name of Paul, understand? And so because they have no relationship with Jesus, they, they hardly even know who Jesus is, um, they just want to do what Paul is doing in terms of uh, what they probably perceive to be um, powerful, magic or whatever, given that they're in Ephesus. Uh, thought, yeah, yeah, we'll get on that. And they, they quickly found out that, you know, <laughs> That, that what they're doing, they're, they're out of their depth because the demon came and said, look, I know Jesus, I know Paul, I don't know you. And he came out and beat them up. Right? And so, and, and all of the people who saw what happened said, you know what, yeah, it's true, let me fix up. And they understood that, you know, um, it says the, the name of Jesus was magnified. Right, and so they're like, yeah, you know what? We, we can't run around just saying that in the name of Jesus, do this X, Y, and Z because unless we have a relationship with it, this it's a serious thing, right? And so similarly, we see in in the first story where people um, were were Christians, but in the name of John because of John's baptism, although they were innocently doing so, had no power in that. And here we see again people who are trying to cast out demons, no less in the name of Paul, have no power because Jesus is the one that you need to have a relationship with, right? Um, so yeah, a bit of a humorous story, but also a bit of a, um, of a fearful story, given the fact that, you know, you don't want to be messing around with demons and not know Jesus, right? Because, you know, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? Um, so there's a little... Um, Actually, the Apostles quote here, it says, um, thus unmistakable proof was given of the sacredness of the name of Christ and the peril which they, um, they incurred who should invoke it 
without faith in the divinity of the Savior's mission. Fifth fell upon them all, and the name of the Jesus um, of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Cool. All right, so let's just finish off um, from verse 18. Verse 18, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto them, Timotheus and Erastus, oh, yeah. but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And this- cool. Right, so sorry, just, um, just to wrap this up, right, so because of that thing that happened with um, those sons of Sceva, right, all the people are like, look, we're not doing this um, magic you know, mysticism thing anymore. So they got all of the books and burned them, right? And got and got um, fifty thousand pieces of silver, right, from all of this this stuff. And through that and that money and those funds, the um, the gospel got got spread even more, right? So even from these guys doing the wrong thing, um, God still used it for His purposes. Used it to extend the church. In fact, this. Um, this, this verse 20 where it says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed, is something that Luke is like a refrain through Acts. You see it throughout Acts. Whether something good or something bad happens, the word was increased and the, and the gospel went to, uh, was magnified. And it just, and it, it goes, it, it, keeps, um, it keeps getting repeated throughout the book. And so it just shows you that whatever happens, be it good or bad, God is still going to be pushing the message his his um his purposes will still be complete, his will will still be done, right? It's just whether you will be part of that or not. Um and so Paul really wants to go to Rome, but he needs to go to Jerusalem first. Right. So he he tells people to go to Macedonia so they can collect um some money from them and then he's gonna make his way to Jerusalem. But he stays in Asia for a season. All of this is actually happening in modern day Turkey. So Ephesus in modern day Turkey um, obviously, Athens is Eastern Europe, um, but well, um, in fact, I've actually been to Ephesus when I was when I was um, a bit younger. And you can see all the ruins and all the rest of it, um, and even see one of the stadiums that we're about to come across in the third story. So, um, yeah, let's continue reading from verse twenty-three. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with, with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but amongst, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods, which are made with hands. Cool. So, so what's what's um what's happening? Paul Paul's um Paul's still in Ephesus, right? Um. And it says there was no small stir about that way. So this, this guy called um, Demetrius was a silversmith, right? And he made shrines. So this guy makes idols, right? Um, that's his job. Uh, he makes idols for Diana. Now, Diana is uh, um, supposed to be like the patron of um, Ephesus, right? She's apparently a meteor came down from heaven and it was Diana and this, that and the other. And they believed that she's you know, she's a goddess and, you know, goddess of fertility and all this. Anyway, so people used to come to Ephesus in their droves 
um, to come visit, you know, the Temple of Diana, the statues of Diana, buy these little things from this guy, right? And so um, he's a silversmith. He's almost like the spokesman for all the silversmiths at this point. Um, and what was he saying? That Paul um, has been, that because of Paul, people have been kind of abandoning their idols, I guess. Um, exactly, and so then right? they're going to the lose business. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, perfect, right? So because of the gospel that Paul has been preaching, he's been teaching in this little school, people have stopped buying idols. And because people stop buying idols, I'm losing money. Right? And this is why, and you know what? They, they don't care that people stop buying idols. They don't care about the faith per se. They care about the money. They're like, whoa, 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 this is starting to hurt my pocket. This is a problem. Right? People care about their pocket. So it's not about the fact that, you know, we're losing faith of Diana. The guy, the guy doesn't care about Diana. What he cares about is the fact that I'm, I'm currently I'm currently losing money. It's hurt in my pocket. Something about this whole pool and his preaching needs to, needs to relax, right? Um, so yeah, sorry, um, Clarissa, you can carry on. First, 27. Um, cool. So that not only this craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, Starchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theatre. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And well, certain- let's, let's, um, let's stop there, right? So, yeah, this is all got, got, got into a madness really quickly, right? So, um, so this guy has been te- kind of talking to the other silversmiths and the other kind of people. You can imagine he's in the marketplace, let's say. Um, he's saying, look, this guy, Paul, he's ruining our business. Uh, and he throws in, oh, yes. And, you know, Diana, the worshipper, you know, you know, Diana, the, the goddess, we know they're ruin, ruining the worshipping of her. He doesn't really care about that. He cares about his pocket. But everyone else is, is now in a frenzy, right? Somehow the word has spread that, you know, these people um, are, are, are bad and they're ruining our culture and they're ruining our religion um, and they're hurting our pockets. And so we need to get them. And so they they, they, they um, grab Gaius and Aristarchus, right? And you can imagine they're probably just in the market, like probably buying some food or doing whatever, and they just get caught up in this thing, right? And they end up in this theatre and then this theatre was um, probably the biggest theatre in the current ancient world at this point. It, it, it had it um, housed about twenty five thousand people, right? So it's not like a the- like a cinema or like a like a theatre that we have now. It's like a stadium, right? a stadium of people, twenty five thousand people, right, in there. And then there's two guys probably in the middle, and all the people shouting, "Great is great is uh, our goddess Diana!" Right, and they're about to mash up these guys. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and Paul wants to go in there. And so that tells us a bit about Paul again. Paul is them guy. Paul doesn't care about his life too tough. Um, Paul is a guy who got stoned, um, just about left, like got out of there with his life and went straight back to go preach again. Um, so Paul does it. Paul, yeah, let's get 25,000 people. Boy, I, I, I only preach in this little school. Let me preach to 25,000 people. Feel no way about it. Right? Um, so yeah, let's continue. First thirty one. Um, and certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent him to him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theatre. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with the hand 
and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Okay, cool. Right, so... So, um, continue with the story. Funny enough, right, verse 31, a certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, right? So Paul wants to go into the stadium. Somehow Paul's friends with the chief of Asia, right? Um, and so, um, I don't know, Paul liked to have, you know, political um, alliances and friends in high places, I don't know. Anyway, this guy was like, look, Paul, relax. Don't go in there. Right, so he stopped Paul from going in there. But while um, the commotion is going on, um, they draw out Alexander, um, who was a Jew, and he wants to try and make a defence to the people, kind of like speak on, on behalf of Gaius and Aristarchus, right, to say, look, these guys are not bad. So he goes up to speak, and the people work out that he's a Jew. And for two hours, all they chant is greatest, um, greatest Diana of the Ephesians. For two hours, that's what you're hearing. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Two hours these people are chanting. They don't even know why they're there. How could 25,000 people even know what they're doing there, right? Um, but yeah, let's continue. So, so they're all chanting Great is this um, Diana of the Ephesians. Um, and yeah, yeah, this is, yeah, they don't even know why they're there. 32, so some of, some, um, Therefore, cried in one accord, and some um, some to another. For the assembly was confused, and more part knew not whether they were um, whether they come together. So most of them didn't even know why they were there. They were just there chanting and just uh, making noise, just proper just just riot, just there, just chilling in the stadium, right? So so this is what happens in verse um, in verse thirty-five. So someone comes to the pattern in verse thirty-five. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, "Ye men of Ephesians is a worshipper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from uh, Jupiter. Seeing that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open and there are deputies. Let them um, implead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning an other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. Cool. <laughs> All right, what, what just happened? We're in um, Acts chapter, chapter 19, close to the end. Um, we just read from verse 35 to 41. So um, let me just give you a background, right, so that you know what's going on. Um, so Paul's, Paul's been in Ephesus, right, and he's preaching in a little school. Um, however, this school seems to have quite a lot of influence because somehow this school um, is starting to convert a lot of people. A lot of people are hearing about God, etc. Um, so much so that this guy called Demetrius, a silversmith who makes idols for the goddess Diana, and that's their goddess in, in Ephesus, um, is starting to lose revenue because people aren't buying his idols anymore. And so because he's frustrated about that, he kind of goes to the rest of the guys and says, look, um, we're getting hurt in our pockets because of this gospel that these guys are preaching. Um, and, you know, we're struggling to make ends meet. And as well as that, um, they're, they're going against our religion. So, you know, we don't like them, we need to get them. And from there, a riot ensues and everyone's going crazy. Um, and they end up dragging these guys um, who were Paul's companions, um, Gaius and Aristarchus, and they drag them into this um, theatre. 
and half of the the theater's got twenty five thousand people in it, all shouting, all making noise. Half of them, most of them, don't even know why they're there. Right, and so they're all there making noise. Gaius and Aristarchus are there in the middle, um, worrying about their life. Paul wants to try and get into the stadium, but the the chief of of Asia at the time doesn't want to let him go in there. Um, and so they're trying to make a defense for these guys. Right, so one man steps up to try and make a defense, and they realize he's Jewish. And so for two hours straight, the people in the stadium are chanting, "Great is the um, Diana of the Ephesians." Right, so they won't let the Jew um, the Jew talk at all, and so um, the people in the frenzy they don't even know why they're there. Get it right, right? And so we get here at verse thirty five, which um, Clarissa just read, and this the town clerk steps up, right? So one of the, their own people, and this is what he says. This guy's cool, right? He says, "Look, listen, right." Did these, what did these guys actually do? Did they talk against Diana? No. Did they rob from the temples? No. Like, so, like, what are we doing here? Like, why, why are we shouting them? What have they done to you? Nothing. Um, if they were temple robbers, fine. If they'd actually spoken against our religion, fine. But they haven't. And if, even if they did, there's proper ways to deal with this. You could have gone to a legal court um, and dealt with it. If anyone actually has a legal matter to discuss with these guys, go to the courts. The courts are open. Like, what, the fact that we're here in a frenzy and a right in the stadium doesn't make any sense. Right? And literally said that, and everyone just quieted themselves. It says, it says, it all went out with the input. It says, um, and when you had spoken, right, he dismissed the assembly. And it's almost like 25,000 people just went, oh, okay, and just went, went home, right? And so what, what is the lesson for, from this? What do you guys think? What do you think is the, is the lesson from, from that story? I think um, something that comes to mind is take time and give something the appropriate response it seems like the one that came and kind of dispelled it after just hearing what was going on and, and really talking some sense into them was kind of of a kind of right-minded spirit where you have to just take time to process things and be intentional about how you react and live uh, according to the stuff that happens. So that's kind of what I would take away, like, you know, give things the appropriate reaction, take time to consider what's really going on. Is this the best choice of action? That's kind of what comes to mind. Oh, that's a good point, right? Um, like, don't don't be a follower of the crowd. You know, what I mean, don't don't find yourself yeah. in this place where you're doing something and you're acting a certain way. You don't even know why you're there. Yeah, pretty much. Like, be intentional about what it is you're doing and have a reason for what you're doing as well. Don't just do it just because you see other people. For sure, for sure. Cool. Great. Good point. All right. This is the other point that I that I found from this. Right, when the town clerk stood up. And he asked the people, um, have they spoken against Diana? Or have they robbed the temples? Or have they done something against the people at all? They couldn't bring anything. The answer was clearly no. And what's amazing about that, it means that Paul and his, and his friends and his preaching was not predominantly against what they were doing. They didn't preach against Diana. They didn't preach against their lifestyle. They didn't preach against anything. What they did is they preached for Jesus. That's it. And by default, because they preached Jesus, the people themselves said, you know what? I, we accept Jesus like this, so you know what, Diana, I'm, I'm cool. Right? And that is why they stopped buying the idols. Paul didn't preach, stop buying idols because idols are wrong and doing this for Diana is wrong and doing X, Y, Z is wrong. He didn't preach that way. He just preached Jesus, right? That's what these guys were known for, just the positive. The negative happened by itself. However, with us, right, and I feel like with the persona of our church, maybe maybe the persona of Christians in general is, um, is what we don't do. 
what what we're not allowed to do what we say is bad you know you you know adventists are generally said for the people who don't eat pork and don't do anything on a saturday you know what i mean when really what we should be trying to be known for what we should be trying to preach is positivity is should be it should be oh wow those are the guys who believe in jesus those are the guys who do things great in the community those are the guys who um have a great saturday rather than don't do anything on saturday you get what i'm saying so in in our culture if someone came up to us and said oh do they preach against xyz they'd probably be like yeah they do preach against that but for paul he wasn't preaching against anything he didn't go into a place and say this is what you're doing that's wrong he said look here's jesus and the rest took care of itself. And so when they came to accuse them, they had nothing to accuse them with. And so I just think it's, it, it will be really good for um, us to be as positive with our beliefs as possible. Instead of saying, you know, don't do X, Y, Z, don't dress like this, don't speak like this don't you know go here don't do that um instead say what to do what should we do what should we be doing what should we believe you know paul when he went to we spoke about when he went to um athens right he didn't go in there saying oh wow your idols are everywhere and your your, your philosophy is a joke and xyz he actually said wow i've heard that you guys are really religious he complimented them and when he walked in there said, wow, I heard you guys are really religious. That's really good. Um, but just, this is what Jesus is. This is what Jesus means. This is what, who Jesus is. This is, he died for you. And it was like, oh, wow. He went to, um, I think it was Corinth where he said this. And he said, um, he didn't go down the, he didn't go down that route because he wasn't in Athens anymore. He contextualized it to Corinth and he said, look, God is the, um, the creator and he, you know, he created the, and he allows things to grow in X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. And that's what spoke to them. And so it's, it's, it was always a positive message. It was always something that people could learn from rather than saying, your life is terrible, your life is bad, change your wicked ways. Yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's what I think is... Um, was the point of, of, well, one of the points of um, of that story as well, right? And so those are the those are the stories from Ephesus. Um, so just to recap, know who you're baptized under, and when I say that, I mean know who you're actually following. Have a relationship with Jesus Himself. Um, have a connect with the Holy Spirit Himself, rather than um, thinking about, you know, I heard X, Y, Z preach. I heard this person say X, Y, Z. Find out for yourself, connect with him yourself. Um, and that both goes for the people who were baptized in John and those who were um, thinking that they could cast out demons in Paul's name. Um, always connect with Jesus yourself. And um, as Imhotep said, don't follow the crowd. Go with um, at least, you know, be intentional about what you're doing. Um, and be positive as much as you can about about our faith. Yeah. Any other points before we before we wrap up? No. Okay. Um, Clarissa's done a lot of reading already. Tyler, do you want to pray? Sure. All right. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this Bible study that we've heard, Lord, and I pray that what we've learned, we may put into action, Lord. We've seen how people have done miracles and works in your name, Lord, and it's not necessarily about bashing people, Lord. Let's focus on the positives, let's focus on the good, let's focus on what having you in your life will bring to them rather than may take away, Lord, that, you know, serving you and glorifying you is a good thing, and that's it's something that we should be grateful and happy to share, Lord. Make not make it look like a burden sometimes, but no, let people know that serving you is great. Um, 
I said, I pray you just help us with the temperament of Paul, be willing, you know, see every opportunity to witness as best as we can without ruffling any feathers or breaking any laws, as we just read in the last story. Because when it comes to the trials and people asking, what have you done wrong? We can be proud and say we've done nothing wrong. And that in itself can be a witness and can convert more, than, more people than we could ever imagine. So I pray you help us as we continue forth, as we continue to spread your word and as we continue with the Sabbath day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys.